This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. Swing and a drive. Right field and deep. Back goes Aquino. It's got a chance. Gone. Get out the tape measure. Long gone. Fly the W. Cubs fans, it's time to fly the W with Dustin Rhodes and Paul Crawley-Jean. Welcome in to another edition of the Fly the W podcast. This is season one, episode nine, and we are calling this one Ships That Pass in the Night. I'm Dustin Rhodes, executive producer for 670 The Score of the Mully and Haw Show. They are live 5.30 to 10 now. If you like what you're hearing here, you can catch me Monday through Friday from 5 a.m. until 5.30 until we hand it off to them. And, of course, we are the official home of Chicago Cubs baseball with Pat, Ron, and Zach. And, as always, I'm joined by my great friend Crawley. You can follow me at Crawley's Cubs. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at FlyTheW670, also at Facebook at FlyTheW, and our email account, Fly the W670 at gmail.com. Dustin, before this series started, you were going to only be happy with three wins. I felt it might be two wins. All we came up with is one. Only one time, Crowley, did the Cubs get to fly the W, and that was last night. We are recording this literally five minutes after the Pirates walked off the Cubs in extra innings. And Crowley, I, I don't want to go totally blue here, but I will just start this one off by saying whiskey, tango, foxtrot. And look it up if you don't understand what I'm saying right now, because this is just not acceptable. That You cannot drop three of four to the Pirates. I realize that the Cubs are rebuilding, but they're still the Pirates I am so disappointed in the Chicago Cubs right now. 
Well, we call this ships that pass in the night because this is now kind of going both ways. If you remember, during the Cubs rebuild of 2012, 13, 14, 15, it was the Pirates that had those really good teams with uh, Starlin Marte and you had Andrew McCutcheon, and they were in the wild card game uh, 2013. 13, 14, and 15, and it was Jake Arietta and Kyle Schwarber putting one in the Allegheny that basically buried the Pirates to the basement where they've been dwelling for the last few years. Fast forward now to 2022, and I know mentally we say the Pirates because they have been bad since 2016, but this is not those Pirates. You're looking at a team with the Cubs that have very little talent on their roster, and you saw a team in the Pirates that is on its way up, that is ascending, where you saw prospects like O'Neill Cruz, Blay Madrid, Kiki Brian Hayes, who scored the winning run, Brian Reynolds, uh, local boy Jack Sawinski. These are really good players, and, and go around each one of those players. I said, you're the shortstop. You know, and I know some of these guys are, are very fresh and maybe they're not going to be that great. I'm just telling you from what I'm seeing, I, I saw a team that looked pretty darn good on defense. I saw a team that ran the bases well. I saw the team not making little league mistakes. Well, those are all things, unfortunately, that our Cubs did. Before we start going through game one, game two, game three, game four of this series, which we always do here on the Fly the W podcast, I, I want to ask you specifically about the shortstop the Pirate shortstop, who RBI in his first six games had some kind of a, a record comparable only to JoJo DiMaggio. Do the Cubs have somebody like that for next year? Is there somebody coming up that can have that kind of an impact when you and I are doing this podcast at this time next year? I would say no. I, I can't think that. I mean, that's a top blue chip prospect. The Cubs don't have – the first rebuild, when you talked about Chris Bryant and Schwarber, those were kind of very high-ceiling blue-chip prospects. I would say the Cubs have a lot of depth um, in their system, a lot of it in the lower uh, minor leagues. I just don't see anyone coming up next year. I mean, Brendan Davis lost a year. Maybe he might be somebody, but I don't think that there's anybody equivalent to O'Neill. All right. Thanks a lot, Carl. You're not making me feel better. So let's uh... – <laughs> Let's uh, get on to it. Let's talk about Cubs-Pirates. The Cubs only win once, and that was on Wednesday night out in Pittsburgh. So game one, Cubs fall 12-1. to Caleb Killian got the start. I was really looking forward to seeing Caleb after spending a full week in the rotation, hanging out with the team, talking to the coaches, getting some knowledge from a couple of the experienced guys. So what did we get out of Killian and the Cubs in game one, Crowley? The Cubs got pounded 12 to one. Uh, Killian's record, uh, you know, it just wasn't good. He was not good. He only was able to go 2.1 innings, gave up three hits, seven runs. Five of those were earned, five walks and three Ks. But one thing that we're going to be talking about, especially games one, three, and four, is how bad the defense was. And when you have young pitchers, which we talked about this on the last episode, we had our four young pitchers going in Killian, Swarmer, Thompson, and Steele. You have to have defense backing that up. And one of the biggest uh, guy they should just take away his glove and burn it is Jonathan VR. And so when you get into this game, uh, 
the problem with uh, Caleb Killian has been walks. The first inning looks pretty good. He gets two Ks in the first inning. Okay, not too bad. And then, all you know, but at the top of the inning, you were frustrated because Ortega singled with two out halves doubles. Ortega is thrown out by a mile. I don't know what the send was on that there other than I just think that the team is, is struggling to score runs and they're just trying to push the envelope on this. But that was bad. Um, you know, then all of a sudden Caleb comes in and has a good first, but then in the second inning, the command issues start to pop up. He had two walks. Two, a couple things to keep in mind is that BR in this inning, there was a puddle ground that he should have gotten and he didn't make. Then there was what looked like a double play ball and he can't make that play. So now you've extended the inning for Caleb Killian. And at that point, uh, another young, talented youngster that we talked about, Bly Madrius, uh, singled went because of the walks. He had the guys that he walked. He loaded the bases. Um, and that's going to make it two to nothing. Sack fly by Hoy Park makes it three nothing. Uh, in the bottom of the third, more walks. He walked the first two batters. Vogelbach singles. He got the bases loaded. He throws a wild pitch to score Reynolds. Chavis, today's hero, walks. And uh, O'Neill Cruz, uh, bases loaded double. And so the Pirates are up 7 nothing in the third inning. I mean, that pretty much was all she wrote. That was basically all she wrote. So two things there that I'd like to respond to with what you said. I mean, the biggest disappointment with Killian is the fact with the walks. you got to trust your stuff. You're not in a position to kneel, throw the ball over the plate, but you can see that he's got bad, he's got bad defense behind him, something that we'll talk about later in Game 4, the game that just wrapped up. More bad defense. The Cubs recording four errors, extending innings. You can't do that to young guys. I understand. We have to be patient with these young guys on the hill, but man, oh man, you can't give extra outs. And I can understand how a young guy like Caleb Killian, how that might affect him. And again, let, let's go back. There has to be somebody else down on the farm. I, I do not need to see Villar anymore. I know what Villar is. If you need a injury replacement or you need to give a guy four or five days, fine. Why is Jonathan Villar constantly in the lineup. I wish I could answer probably for the same reason. Jason Hayward's always in the lineup. And that's, that's because maybe David uh, Ross just trust. David Ross a sweet on the road too. I mean, did that happen? I, I'm, I do Please. not believe he bought him a sweet, but it's, I can't think of any other, any other logical explanation other than, than a coach that likes to play veterans. Uh, but this this absolutely hurt Killian. And the, and, the, and the trouble with Killian right now is he just hasn't had these command issues in the minors. This is just something that's popped up in the majors. He had a 47 to 16 strikeout to walk ratio in 43 innings in uh, AAA Iowa. He had a 251 ERA, and that's in 10 starts in what's considered a hitter-friendly Pacific Coast League. The PCL is always considered a, a tough place for pitchers to pitch. And so Killian said after the game, it's super frustrating actually, because I feel like I'm digging myself in a hole. I keep, I'm walking people, getting behind in the counts. I feel like I'm not far off. I feel like it's close. Once it clicks, it'll be a lot better, but it's going to have to click in the minors because that's where he was sent immediately after the game and Mark Leiter Jr. called back up. But, but the thing you look about this at this game, and this is where the walks and the errors hit you, is that the, you know, you think 12 to 1, oh, the Cubs got killed. The Pirates out hit the Cubs only 11 to 10. They only had one more hit. They only walked two more times. Difference, 
and we've been banging this drum, is that the Cubs with runners in scoring position were one for nine as a team. The team had a team left on base of 13. Wisdom left six on base. Hayward left five on base. Difference for the Pirates, they were 7-15 with runners in scoring position. That's the difference right there. That's the difference right there. Really quick, before we move on to game two, I'd love to hear your opinion on what the Cubs did with Killian. Do you think that's the right move? Is it the right move for him to go back to Iowa, hopefully regain some confidence, or do you think it's better for him to stay here and take his lumps? Because right now, as it stands, Alec Mills is going to get a start. Do we need to see Alec Mills starting? I think Caleb Killian could learn a whole lot more, and if it doesn't work out, then bring Alec Mills in again to relieve him, and he doesn't even provide much relief. Well, there's a couple issues that you're dealing with right here. Number number one is this constant uh, starters getting pulled early, struggling to make it four or five innings. And so you need fresh arms, and that's what they did. And so Caleb Killian's a guy that has plenty of options. You don't have to worry about that. So when you send him down and you call Mike, Mark Leiter up, uh, Leiter played an important role just like Mills did of you know, taking innings off the bullpen. So you needed him up to take those innings. So uh, in this game, you, you saw here that uh, Mills took a bunch of innings. He, he looked good for three. He pitched four. So he gets roughed up for five in the seventh inning. Um, but Mills took some of those innings. And then in the next game that the Cubs lose, you're going to see Alec, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Mark Leiter, who was just called up that day, take a bunch of innings. So that's why you do with Caleb, but his mechanics seem very out of whack. I would rather not, I would rather not have his confidence destroyed even more by another bad outing. Let him get his head sorted. Let us get, let him get his mechanics sorted without the pressure of trying to win a major league game. All right. So we move on to game two and we've got another one of the younger Cub starting pitchers, less experienced Cub starting pitcher in Matt Swarmer. And uh, the same results, the Cubs lost in that one, 7-1. to one. Crowley, how did it happen? Yeah, you had uh, Ronsi Contreras, so that was interesting to see the Contreras-Contreras matchup. But uh, Swarmer only went four innings, gave up five hits, five runs. Four of those were earned, so another unearned run, two walks and five Ks. You know, but it starts off with Key Brian Hayes, who just looks so good with the leadoff triple. Uh, Reynolds sack fly, you're down one nothing early in the bottom of the second. Michael Perez with the solo home run comes are down two nothing. Then in the third, you had with one out Reynolds singles. You had a wild pitch by Swarmer. Sawinski walks. Vogelbach singles. Uh, Reynolds ends up scoring. Chavez strikes out, and then O'Neill Cruz singles, uh, which allows Sawinski to score. Cruz steals. You had a wild throw by Wilson. Vogelbach scores. Now the Cubs trail 5 nothing. So if you kind of think about that, you had a single, a wild pitch, a walk, a single, a, a strikeout, a single, uh, a stolen base, which led to a wild throw, which allowed another run to score. So wild pitches, errors, and walks. Well, and and no hitting. Right Again, and no hitting, Crowley. We'll get to that. One for six, 0 for six with runners in scoring position. I mean, you know, you're not going to win many games with one run. Now, the good news for Schwarmer was is two walks. So he cut back on the walks in that game. That That's my biggest takeaway from that game on the pitching side of things. And then on the offensive side of things, we had the mammoth home run from Pat Wisdom. I think it was the longest one the Cubs have hit this year, over 400 and 60 feet. And did you happen to hear Pat and Ron 
talk about the squirrel running around and the grounds crew trying to catch him. The squirrel, that was a brilliant call. And it was, I, I was, I was listening to the radio and I, I was, I was dying laughing. That was the only thing that kept me going. I think that was the first game of the series, wasn't it? I forget if it was game one or two, I, I apologize, but that, that was one of the other, other small, tiny, little highlights of this uh, four game series against the Pirates where the Cubs only won one game. And that's where we're going to turn our attention to right now, Crowley. That was game three. The Cubs won that one 14 to five. And as Zach Zabin put it, the Cubs scored two touchdowns in Pittsburgh. Yeah. And, and again, you know, you'd want to pat yourself on the back and say, well, look at this game, but it was more an injury that helped the Cubs out. If you remember when we talked about the starters that were penciled in for this game, it was supposed to be Keegan Thompson versus Zach Thompson. So the Thompson versus Thompson matchup, but Zach was scratched with a forearm injury and journeyman Jared Eikhoff came in and he was just what the Cubs offense needed. Uh, Keegan looked great again, six innings, four hits, one run, one walk, and seven Ks. Uh, Eikhoff was awful, 4.1 innings. He gave up 10 hits, 10 runs. He had to wear it for the Pirates. Uh, he gave up one walk with four Ks. But, the, you know, the Cubs had a seven-run second inning, and everybody had started with VR doubling, Horner singles, Hayward and Rivas, right? You got two guys on. Jason Hayward can't hit. He hits Hayward with a pitch, and then he hits with the bases loaded. Rebus with the pitch was struggling offensively. So now all of a sudden it rolls back to the top of the order. And Ortega had a great game. He doubles to give the Cubs a 3-0 lead. Contreras, who had an awful series, struck out. Wisdom singled to make it 5-0, scoring Rafael, uh, Rivas and Ortega. And then Hap, who, who just dominates in Pittsburgh, homered, and uh, Wisdom scored on that. So you're up 7-0, and Keegan did exactly what you want to do with that lead. Don't mess around, attack the strike zone, and that's what he did. He gave up a solo home run to Diego Castillo, but that was it. Absolutely. I was really happy that Keegan got that big lead. Happy to see he only had the one walk in that game. So he was able to go six innings, seven Ks, so that was great to see. And you're right, Wilson is really struggling right now. After playing so well during the homestand, he has not played very well in Pittsburgh so far. I will right. tell you though, Dustin, though, one thing that also we talked about the squirrel, that craziness at the end of the game where Robertson pitches a scoreless eighth. And in the ninth, it wasn't, you know, it, usually we're on the other end of these things where Frank Schwindel's pitching, but they had to put their position player in Diego Castillo and uh, Alfonso Rizas uh, ends up having three guys in front of him get reach and he hits a grand slam. And then Robertson had his first career at bat. So he had his first career at bat in his 696th career game. So he surpassed Mariano Rivera for the most games pitched in Major League history before his first plate appearance. He worked a 3-2 count, and he swung at a pitch that was high. But as he told the guys in the dugout, I wasn't taking a walk. I was swinging. I got to tell you, Crawley, after what happened today, like last night, I would say I found it minorly amusing and minorly at best because I'm sick of seeing position players pitch. And, you know, after what we're going to talk about in a few minutes, um, I don't know if we needed that grab ass. You had already lost two games. I understand they had scored 14 runs and they were more than likely going to win that game. But I don't know that a whole gang of grab ass is exactly what uh, Cubs fans want to see at this point. 
Well, like you said, it, the narrative changes after today's game. You know, if all of a sudden they win the, today's game, it's funny and totally it's totally different. Right. I agree with you. I agree. I, I would probably have a very different opinion right now of David Robertson and the grab ass. But that takes us into game four, Crowley. We had Justin Steele and my favorite ex-cub, Jose Quintana. If you were listening today to the Mully and Haw show, you heard David Haw giving me a lot of crap today about my disliking Jose and telling me what a great individual he is. It's nothing personal against Quintana. It's just what the Cubs gave up in order to get him, and it did not pay off at all. So what happened today, Crowley? Game four. Well, it, it's this one was a absolute maddening game in all sense of the words. You had Steele versus Quintana, and the thing that kills you is Justin Steele pitched really well, and it was his defense highlighted once again by Jonathan VR that let him down. So he went 5.2 innings. He gave up seven hits, six runs, five earned runs. So you look at the you look at the stat line, it doesn't look good. He had eight strikeouts, but it all came down to the defense because in the bottom of the first, Brian Reynolds. Brian Reynolds is one of those young stud pirates that I told you about. He hits a solo home run. I'm not going to get mad at that. That happens, right? But then in the top of the, the second, Wisdom singles, uh, uh, Gohm strikes out, but VR grounds into a double play. VR just had the worst day possible. Top of the So here's the thing is that you have Jose Quintana, who's not that great of a pitcher, and the Cubs kept letting him off the hook. Quintana was able to go six innings. He gave up six hits, two runs, one walk, and six Ks, but just constantly grounding into double plays, ending innings. Top of the third, Nico singles, Velasquez. Nelson Velasquez got a start. It's amazing. He walked. Higgins bunted. You had the bases loaded, Morel and no outs. Morel flies out. Wilson grounds into a force out. Nico Horner scores. The game's tied at one. Hap's able to single, and the Cubs lead two to one. But you felt, once again, like you let Quintana off the hook. Oh, absolutely. They let him off the hook. Oh, God. I, the, that, that game was so maddening. And, again, if Jonathan Villar starts on Friday night down in St. Louis, I am just going to be totally ticked off, Crowley. Well, that's where, that's where we get into the bottom of the third here, right? Tyler Heineman singles. And then Blind Madrid grounds into a what should be a, it, it's a force out because it should have been a double play, right? Nico shuttles it to, to VR, VR bobbles it, so Madrid is safe at first. So that should have ended the inning. Okay, it doesn't. And the very next batter, Key Brian Hayes, hits a home run. So Boom the goes the dynamite. <laughs> right. Cubs lead three to two instead of it being a two to two high game. And then we get to the top of the fifth. Nelson Velasquez. With an amazing double, he does a, a patented Javier Baez Almago slide, right? So he leadoff double, P.J. Higgins flies to right, no problem. Uh, Velasquez advances to third. Morel pipes, uh, pops out and Wilson strikes out. You know, just it was just such a bad game for Wilson and B.R. Uh, in the bottom of the fifth with two outs, Hayes reaches on a fielding error again by B.R., Reynolds reaches on a fielding error by Wisdom. Hayes scores. Reynolds reaches third. The call's overturned. Everybody's kind of off the field. They go to commercial. They throw it to commercial. And then you come back, and now the guy's, you know, put back at third because he was the call was overturned. And they didn't score any more out of that, but it was just the um, – the one thing, Dustin, that I've talked about, and when we talked in the lap, last episode, I said I only care about watching the development of these young pitchers, the four young pitchers that we were going to see. And you just saw how that defense killed the young pitching. All the extra pitches that 
Steele had to throw, and that would end up coming to hurt him in the sixth inning when the game kind of starts to kind of, it looks like it's getting away. Eventually, the Pirates are, are leading six to two. But it was missed. It, was, it wasn't even that. Like, like that bobble by, um, by VR wasn't counted as an error. Missed cutoff, man. There was all sorts of things like, you know, guys not backing up plays. It was just pure garbage. And what makes me mad about this situation, I think Steele could have gone eight innings. I thought he could have gone eight innings with the stuff he had, but the extra 20 to 30 pitches that he's got to throw because the defense keeps giving the other team five, six outs and in innings. He's, he has to be pulled out when he does. And that's, that's a shame. And, and what, and imagine if, if all of a sudden, let's say in the next start, his arms bothering him or something because you had to push him because of the poor defense. It's a great point. You're making Crowley again. Why is Jonathan Villar, playing as much as he is. The one thing I will say, though, is he didn't seem to get rattled. There wasn't, like, pouting. His body language looked good. Where I could see the opposite, like Killian had a couple errors behind him, and it seemed it seemed to bother him. Now, a lot of people have said, and we talked about on the last episode or one of the episodes, is that why is David Ross the manager? What is he doing? I'm not so impressed so far. I will say that this team does keep playing for David Ross because the Cubs – rallied Crowley and actually took the lead in the top of the eighth inning. Yeah, Morell singled. Wilson, who was hitless through a four-game series with the Pirates, okay? Uh, he, he walked, which was great. He reached base. Hap grounds out. Uh, Wilson was out at second, so he had runners at first and third. Wisdom singled, and the Cubs were down 6-3. Gomes flied out. BR walked, so he did something productive. Horner with a clutch seeing eye single. Uh, happened wisdom scoring the Cubs trail six to five. Rafael Ortega walks. Rivas singled, which was a clutch single for Rivas uh, with two outs. MBR and Horner scored. And just like that, the Cubs take a seven to six lead. So they scored five runs in that eighth inning. And that was awesome. Unfortunately, it only lasted one pitch because David Robertson gave up a solo homer to Michael Chavez. And now we get to the extra inning courtesy runner rule. Right. We'll, we'll get to that. I want to know, I want to know before we get there though, are you okay? And I, I mean, hindsight's 2020, of course, but David Robertson in the bottom of the eighth. It was kind of bizarre, but, uh, I mean, you know, it, were they going, were they going for a six out save? Yeah. I'm not, I, I really don't know. I don't know why Efros or somebody else wasn't in at that point. Yeah, I, I mean, that's something that I hope the media contingent asks. We're recording this during the Cubs postgame show after the loss, so we'll go back and we'll listen. Maybe we'll throw that out on Twitter. It definitely will be a big topic and a, something that I will be ranting about tomorrow morning on Mullion Haw, 5-10 to 10 on the score. So they get to the courtesy runner, Crowley. Tell us what happens then. Yeah, you got the courtesy runner, uh, Patrick Wisdom at second. Gohm lines out to right. Wisdom goes to third. Uh, he advances to third on that flyout. Hayward to pinch hit for Simmons. So you literally went from VR to Simmons to Hayward. That was what you had there in that spot. That's and not a good trifecta, Crowley. I would never bet that trifecta. <laughs> no, no. And I was certain, and I think I might have even tweeted it, that, uh-oh, here comes the old Jason Hayward to second, which would have scored the runner. But no, he pulled it to the first baseman, who then threw out 
wisdom at home. Now, some people are upset about the call. The Cubs did challenge it. They felt that the catcher blocked the plate, and they felt even if he didn't, it looked like that wisdom got in, but that's not how New York saw it. Well, two things there. Uh, three things. You know, Hayward, gosh, I mean, is there nobody else left? Um, should you be running on contact with Hayward at the plate with only one out and a runner at third? I don't think so. I don't think there was a need to be super aggressive. I think that I think the rule should have been if the ball gets into the outfield, be prepared to run. You, you know, like a tag up would have been fine. But again, what does Jason Hayward primarily do? Pounds the ball into the dirt and it's headed for second, the second baseman or the first baseman. And then we're going to talk at, towards the end of the game. I do know what blocking the plate is officially now after the end of the game. But if that's not blocking the plate, I really don't know what is. And I would love, like, in the Cubs postgame show or the four-letter network or T MLB network, somebody's got to show me what is okay and what isn't okay. This is getting to the point probably 10 years ago in the NFL where we didn't know what was a catch and what was a catch. Crowley, I don't know what blocking the plate is versus what not blocking the plate is. Can, can you help me? Can you help our podcast listeners? Do you understand exactly what blocking the plate is right now? I mean, we know it from the Buster Posey rule, but like you said, no one's been able to describe what is or isn't. I, it's, it's, a, it's literally just a coin toss, and I, I don't remember very often hearing it called as blocking the plate. It sure looked like it on that play. Absolutely. So then – we get to the uh, we get to the tenth inning, the bottom of the tenth, right? Yeah, Michael. Uh, well, you 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 got um, you know Key Brian Hayes as the courtesy runner. They walk Brian Reynolds, and then uh, it's just a, a bloop. This was off F. Frost. It was one of those bloop singles. And and, and if you're Hayward, you're not di diving, stretching out to try to get that ball. Like that's that's another thing too. How can you let that ball fall into the middle of three different? Uh, fielders right there. And, and that's it. He, the scary collision at the end between Hayes and, um, and uh, Contreras, but uh, that's it. You know, they, they walk off three, one winners as far as the series is concerned. Yep. The pirates get to uh, fly the Jolly Roger. That's what they like to say out in Pittsburgh after they win a ball game and listen, they deserved it. They played harder. They played better defense. As you mentioned, they ran the bases better. They hit better with runners in scoring position. So the Cubs, now have lost a four-game series, three out of four, to the Pirates. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
You're listening to the Fly the W podcast. This is season one of the podcast with Crawley and myself, Dustin Rhodes. This is episode nine. We are calling this one Ships That Pass in the Night. And we were fortunate to talk to one of my favorite, if not my absolute favorite, Cubs beat reporter, who now has added a lot of multimedia to his uh, claim and to his fame. Gordon Whitmire sat down with Crawley. My next guest on Fly the W, one of my favorite writers and all-around good guy, Gordon Wittenmeyer. Gordon, how are you doing today? Doing great. How are you? It's a long season, isn't it? Well, after losing to the Pirates 12-1, to you just got to keep asking yourselves, how many times can we say, oh, I'll throw this one in the garbage? I mean, pretty soon the garbage starts to get full, doesn't it? Yeah, I think we're throwing the season in the garbage now. If, if, if we're talking about trying to win anything or accomplish anything team-wise uh, on the field, um, I mean, it's all about individuals, right? Jed said that last week, he, that it's kind of shifted into this youth mode. Um, he's trying to say, yeah, you know, you, you kind of play dual tracks on that, but it's not dual tracks anymore. Let's be honest. Look at the rotation. Look who's in the rotation, man. Right. And that's that's part of my question. You know, you were around for the first rebuild with Theo. Why do you think they were so apprehensive to call it a rebuild? Does that just mean that they're admitting failure, that, that idea that they originally had that – you know, we were going to do this rebuild once and from there it's not going to happen again? Or why, why do you think they just weren't straight up honest with what was happening? Well, I think, I think there's two things that make this one different than last one, even in the messaging and the narrative. And that's when they came in last time, they could piss all over the previous regime, which they did. And you had Theo Epstein come in with built-in credentials and credibility. Uh, hell, we saw T-shirts that said, in Theo we trust when they were losing a hundred games. Um, so you had this long honeymoon period that was sort of built in just by hiring Theo. And even though he came in and had less resources than he thought initially and kind of had to take a, a slightly different tack than he originally had planned, it, it, it was still Theo. And you had multiple years where people were going to trust that and still kind of, kind of pay attention, like be riveted by what's Theo going to do with our ball club after what we saw him do in Boston. And th that, that and the fact that they got some very high-profile prospects fairly quickly um, gave you something to watch and to look forward to and track and believe in. He could say whatever he wanted. He could be honest about it, which he basically was. And this time around – they've broken the promise of a foundation for sustained success uh, because of the pandemic and ownership's decision on how to handle that. They blew up the roster and started slashing payroll. And that meant that you were going to have to start over um, with, with your roster. And they don't have Chris Bryant in the farm system right now, or, or any of those handful of other guys that they had back then that were top 10 rated type guys. And this isn't Theo. That might be the biggest thing of all, right? This is this is Jed. Jed's a fine baseball man. He's Theo's right-hand man for years and years and years. He knows what he's doing as much as the next guy, but he's not Theo. And he also can't message like Theo can. Theo might be the best sports executive on the planet when it comes to that. I mean, I, I might that might not be hyperbole. Um, Jed's not. Jed's a regular guy. He's just a regular smart guy. Who, who's doing his best. So, I mean, put all that stuff together and it's really hard to admit to fans and get them to swallow that this is happening all over again. 
with a lot less profile and credentials involved. Yeah, I mean, I remember for years going to Cubs convention and they we would have different events with Theo speaking and he could just like, he was like the Pied Piper, man. Whatever he said, it just sounded right, even if maybe it wasn't. And we all went along. You were talking about, you know, now starting to focus on individual players and player development. And I'm hoping, I don't know if anyone in the world can answer this. You saw it with Clint Frazier and now Nelson Velasquez is up yet. Every day, Jason Hayward is in the lineup, and <laughs> and it's getting to the point where I would say even the most calm and rational Cub fans, because there are a few that exist, are starting to get irritated and frustrated. Do you think this is David Ross's decision? Do you think Jed's telling – I mean, what in God's green earth is going on here? It's definitely collaborative. I mean, neither one's doing what the other one doesn't want uh, in this regard. Look, I think I think really it's a simple – as you've got Clint Frazier, I think was a decision independent, right? I, I mean, they're not trying to win at this point. This season is not about winning. It's not about putting your best team on the field. It's about a whole bunch of individual stories. It's about whatever you do put on a field that day. Yeah. You know, you're going to try to coach them up and try to win. The, the staff is still in it to try to win games and, and the whole thing. But uh, broadly speaking, and in a macro sense, as it relates to this season, it's about, you know, giving Chris Morrell as long a run as you can in center until he proves he can't do it. As long a run as you can in the leadoff spot until he proves he can't do it. Um, Nelson Velasquez, I don't know that they believe he's ready to play every day. So let's get his feet wet. Let's see what he, let, uh, let's give him opportunities where we think he can succeed. And then when he does, if he starts to put something together, now maybe he gets a chance like Morell does. Maybe. In the meantime, what are you going to do with Hayward, right? They don't want to just whack him and eat the money. And as Jed said, and there is a, there is truth to this. Some of this is narrative and some of this is, is just flat fact. There are things he does for you in the clubhouse. And the guy has never stopped playing hard. He's never stopped working hard. He's never stopped being uh, a pro in a clubhouse and a guy that is willing to talk with young guys if, if they're around, willing to sort of uh, pay it forward like like the Chipper Joneses of the world did uh, when he came in. Um, so, so there is a value there. Now, I also think that there's this other side of that coin. They're playing him a lot every day. If he doesn't perform... I think there's a really good chance he might be gone by the end of the season. Now the the August 2nd uh, trade deadline is going to come into play. We'll see. We'll see who they even have left. And then you, 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 you play what you have. And, and, you know, so, so maybe he lasts the season. Um, but you, you know, you give him what you can. Maybe you, maybe he gets on a run for a month and you can package him in a trade and if not, then you make your decision in the offseason. But there's, you're not doing yourself any favors by having him on the roster and not playing him. Um, and you have, enough, uh, you have enough playing time there to give him. Uh, and as I said, Clint Frazier, he wasn't doing anything for you. His, his swing was a friggin' mess. And he went to Iowa and got worse when he went on that rehab assignment. So uh, he's still in the organization. He still has a chance to get right. And maybe he's up by the end of the year. And maybe Hayward's not. One of the things that, uh, you know, I've just been concerned about, especially the last uh, season and a half where we are right now, Kyle Hendricks just, you know, he seems to just really struggle all of a sudden. And you wrote an article about whether he's going to be on the next Cubs winning team. 
you know, give us some insight. Uh, do, do you have any idea of what may be going on with Kyle right now? I mean, is it, is it that shoulder they talked about? Is it just age? I mean, where are we at with Kyle Hendricks? He says it's not. He says he's 100% healthy. I don't want to. I don't want to doubt a guy or call a guy hurt or anything like that. If he says he's healthy, he's healthy to me. Um, and you know, he shows signs. He gets outs here and there, and 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 he's got command. He's just getting hit. So I believe he's healthy. Um, you know, I also believe that for years now, he's he's not a guy that had overpowering stuff. He's a guy that knows how to pitch. And I think he still knows how to pitch, but he wasn't going to have a lot of margin to work with if he ever began a decline. And um, maybe this is part of it. Maybe he's got to figure out a way to adjust. You know, I don't know what he's, you know, he's, he's thrown his curveball more in recent years. I don't know if that's an answer. Apparently it's not, at least in the short term. I don't know. In your article about Hendricks, you know, he kind of seemed resigned to the fate that the, the direction this team's going and how tough it's kind of got to be that, you know, all his teammates pretty much are gone except for uh, Hayward and uh, and uh, Contreras. And Contreras looks like the next one out. Um, he seems to be kind of just, you know, more shocked last time it happened. But this time it just kind of seems like he's accepting of what's going to happen here. Yeah, I mean, th that's the impression I got from from Hendricks, everybody in there knows what's what's going to happen, and they have for quite a while. Uh, and you and you look at uh, guys like uh, all these one-year contract guys. David Robertson knows he's getting traded. He doesn't want to talk about it, but I, he's definitely in the last week or two come come over to that idea even more. You know, Contreras has known since the season started that he was going to be gone. Uh, Hayward knows how to read the room, and and uh, and Hendricks certainly knows but like Hendrick said yeah last year I mean they were in first place at this time last year or flirting with first place and uh even even though they knew that like you know you Darvish got sold out from under him and Kyle Schwarber got non-tendered and they still were there because they still had that core and a couple of them were having decent seasons and uh and and having that group together that kind of trusted each other and, and had won before I think and they, and they felt they had something to prove it was also a massive distraction knowing that they were all short timers and then they got traded. And then the 20 hour period at the deadline where the three of them went in boom, boom, boom. And Rizzo went first. That was the shock Hendricks said, and he had Rizzo getting uh, emotional. I mean, Rizzo was already there when Hendricks debuted Rizzo took on the entire Reds dugout since the day Hendricks debuted. He was the man. Um, and now it's all gone. Who the hell knows what's next? Who the hell knows how long it's going to take? And Hendricks is pretty damn sure that he's not going to be around like, like the rest of us are uh, when it happens. You know, you, you mentioned Rizzo being the heart and soul of the team. And, and unfortunately, we got to see him in Yankee pinstripes. And uh, you had a really good interview with him. And he kind of talked about, you know, just how shocking that that was and how disappointing, I guess, it was that you know, the Cubs right now are in a situation where, you know, they're trying to not finish in last place uh, as a major market team. So, so what was Rizzo kind of, you know, really, really talking to you about when it came to his feelings about the Cubs and everything that happened on the blue Friday massacre? Well, if you're talking about in New York, 
there were a few of us talking to him and uh, the subject of whether the Cubs should ever go through something like this came up, whether the Cubs should be more like the Yankees. And he said, yeah, I mean, they should. And he's right. I, I've written that. I, I, I don't know how many times, but you see the Dodgers and the Yankees and, and even the Red Sox for that matter, they don't do this, right? They, they keep cores intact. Now, you know, the Dodgers didn't keep, uh, Seeger and the Red Sox traded bets. Um, those strategic single player moves happen in, in, in over the process as those teams try to continue to win and, by the way, continue to spend the money that they make being top revenue teams in the game. This one doesn't do that. And Rizzo uh, dealt with that firsthand um, in, a, in, a, in a, bitter, a bitter way uh, at, at the end. Um, in his mind, and you know, you can you can debate whether the Cubs lowballed him or whether that was a fair offer. He, he got he certainly would have got more uh, years if he'd have signed the contract, more security, whatever he does here with the Yankees in the next two years. Who knows? Maybe he does better for another three years after that. Who knows? But uh, the fact that the Cubs just sort of financially punted uh, because of hard times during a pandemic. And then, and then decided that all that culture that they talked about, all that continuity that they talked about, and the foundations for sustained success really didn't matter in the face of, you know, profit and loss. Um, maybe that's just the reality of the world we live in, but other teams aren't approaching things that way. And uh, so I agree with him. And when you look at the Cardinals, for instance, and that's another great example, Wainwright's still there. Molina's still there. Now, those guys are probably – Molina definitely is getting overpaid. But he means a lot in that clubhouse and in that organization of those guys. And he, he's got continuity going back, uh, what, two championships? Um, so, so there's a – that's culture, right? And the Cubs – Theo and Jed talked about the Cardinals from the moment they came in. Uh, about uh, how they've had this continuity and and built these expectations in these winning ways and, and what all goes into that. That's part of what goes into it, like it or not. Hey, it's not great business, but it might be pretty damn good baseball business. If you're, if the, if the culture thing matters to you, and I've always thought culture is an overstated uh, concept in sports anyway, but the Cardinals make it work. Um, and continuity, maybe more than culture, does matter if the continuity uh, comes from a strong place. And that's the frustrating thing is, especially with Rizzo is that it, it comes, you know, it would have cost you money, but you, right now the Cubs are about what, like 15th in payroll. I mean, you have money. It's not like you're, it's not like, you know, if, if all of a sudden they got rid of Rizzo and they signed Correa and they signed a bunch of, you know, top free agents, then I could say, Oh, you know, they're, you know, didn't have money for Rizzo. It wasn't in the budget. I, I agree with you. Yeah. And it's, and it's, you know, it's one thing to say, okay, what, what, what's the computer spit out? And, and here's, here's what the guy's worth as a baseball player. We're not going to pay it. He's not going to take uh, less than what he wants. Uh, see you later, Riz. But uh, th this is a guy who, um, if you're not winning this year, you have plenty of money in the budget this year. He could be a, a, a bridge piece. He could be the guy you choose. And, I, and I've got other opinions on this that involve other players, but he was the face of this group and uh, he was the first one that stuck the last time around. And he's got a wealth of information to share 
with the young generation coming up about what this process is like at this point and how quickly it can turn in a good way and what you have to do to get there. Um, so do those things matter? I mean, we can, we can debate that. We should go get a couple of beers and debate that. If they matter and, and, and they've given lip service to that mattering, then, then he maybe is worth the, the money uh, to have that guy in your clubhouse, even if you're not going to win, even if he's not that baseball player, uh, kind of in the way that, that Yachty, you know, Yachty's a Hall of Famer. So, you know, you know take the comparison for what it's worth. Um, but, you know, your Wayne Wrights, your, your Yachty's, you know, they, they kept Matt Holiday around a long time. They even, they even brought Pujols back. Exactly. They brought Pujols. Exactly. And so, um, you know, instead, what you've got, you got a couple holdovers. That's fine. And, and Contreras has kind of stepped up into a role like that with, with, with some of the young players. And Hendricks certainly does that with the, the young pitchers. And Hayward has always done that. Um, with uh, players in there. So you have some of that presence, but it's going to be gone really fast. I mean, uh, Hayward and Hendricks both one more year and, and Contreras out this year. So it doesn't look like they're doing anything uh, with, with that continuity. And, and, and let, me, let, me, let me throw this at you too, Crowley, because I, I've thought about this a long time. We talked about those three guys that got traded last year. Chris Bryant was probably the most talented hitter of the bunch of them. He's probably the best hitter of the three of them. You were never going to sign him. And, and, and maybe you didn't want to. And I, and I see that. That's, that's fine. I, I never advocated for signing him because I knew it was a lost cause. It wasn't going to happen anyway. One of the things the other two guys had, and I know, I know what their numbers look like, especially the one. One of the things the other two guys had that I'm not even sure Brian has as talented as he has, as he is, they had an extra gear of fearlessness on the field. You know, sometimes, sometimes maybe uh, Rizzo ate too much pizza and pasta off the field, right? But but when it, when it or maybe didn't take enough batting practice for some people, but you put him on the field, and he's he's on every play, he's adjusting every at bat, he's he's getting the most out of his abilities in that game, and and you know just just remember 2019 down the stretch against the Cardinals when he was supposed to be out maybe for the rest of the season with that ankle thing comes back in what, three days, four days, whatever it was, uh, limps out that hits a home run in his first at bat. I think it was, um, now he really struggled after that with that ankle, but I mean, that, that, how many people do that? Um, and, and who's more fearless on a baseball field than Javi Baez. And we know what he does defensively for you, um, at, at an elite level at, at, a, at a, an important position. So, there's maybe reasons um, to have considered those guys. Yeah, and that, that's the thing is for a lot of Cub fans, we knew they weren't going to resign all three of those big guys, right? And then let's put Contreras in there. But it really feels like, okay, you, you thought one of the four would be extended. One of the four was going to stick around. You know, and, and, and we had these arguments over beers at bars. Well, I'd keep Bias. Well, I'd keep Brian. I'd keep Contreras. It's just shocking that the way that it looks, and, and, and it drives me nuts on Twitter because I see people say extend Contreras. Wilson is about to be a free agent and he's having a monster year. Why would he sign an extension unless the Cubs were going to blow him away, which we know they're not going to? I don't even think they have to blow him away. I think if they gave him, like, the real Muto money is, is, the, is the benchmark, right? What did he get, uh, 5 and 115? Uh, that wouldn't break your bank. And, and you say, well, he's a 30-year-old catcher. 
Yeah, but he doesn't have to play 140 games behind the plate. There's a DH. And look what happens when you take him out from behind the plate a few more times uh, over the course of, of a month. Uh, so he's got a bat, too. I mean, he's got he's got one of the better bats in the league, too. And you've got a DH now. I don't see any reason why this guy can't age well as, a, as an offensive performer. And uh, so maybe uh, he, maybe you you groom his replacement behind the plate and you gradually make that transition over the course of a five-year contract. There's no reason he can't produce through his age 35 season. So you think five years, 115 would get it done? I think less than 115 would get it done. But certainly, uh, certainly five years now – Five years would get it done. Four might. I mean, what, what, what if you did? What if you wanted uh, less than a, less the, less years? What, what if you gave him four in a hundred? Do you think he'd take it? Now that's twenty five a year. Um, that that's that's a lot. But that's what about what the luxury tax threshold went up by? Right. Uh, so I mean, you could look at it since the luxury tax threshold is is the Ricketts's payroll cap. You could look at that as as free money compared to the last CBA. Uh, you know, I don't know. You can look at it any number of ways, but it doesn't break you. And do you want this player? He he is really friggin' good. Then then the, I guess so. I take a look at what Wilson does. He can hit. He has a great arm behind the plate. The framing is kind of the one knock that he gets, but is about to go the way of the dodo with the uh, robot umpires coming in or the automated strike zone. So, you know, you talked about the DH. And, and, and by the way, the last guy in Chicago that got paid for framing, how good is he at that? Right, right, right. I just, so then I just have a hard time understanding then why. Is there something more that we're missing? Why, why doesn't, right now you can see that season ticket holders are frustrated, fans are frustrated. Why not, you know, it's not throwing a cookie because this guy is obviously producing. It's not just signing a guy to sign a guy. It's a guy that has a strong connection in the clubhouse, has become that leader, especially for some of the young Latino players. What on God's green earth is holding Jed back from offering that extension then? Because Wilson's saying he's heard nothing. I can't figure out how much of this is directly ownership influence. It certainly was coming out of 2020 and all the way through last year. Now they're in a position where I think Jed has choices that he's, he can make. You know, I think Seiya Suzuki was one of those. Um, Stroman in a different way was one of those, because I, I don't think anybody reasonably thinks that he's supposed to be part of the next great run of success for the Cubs uh, as a bridge guy, as a possible trade piece, as a guy that might opt out after next year and, and maybe helps in the meantime. Um, but I think he, but he does have these choices. And if he wanted to make uh, Wilson, one of them, I think he could now, you know, is there something else going on behind the scenes? Is there something they don't like about Wilson personally? Uh, that might be the case. And, 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 Maybe maybe Rossi has something that he doesn't like about Wilson's personality. I don't know what it is because everything I've seen, this guy on and off the field, he's he's a genuine guy. Carly, you go to a lot of games. You see when the cameras are down, how he interacts with people, how he interacts with fans, how he interacts with clubhouse guys, regular regular people. He's I know he's a good person with a good heart from everything that I've seen, um, and and every. And I assume anything that they could have seen. Is there something else there? I don't know. I don't know what it would be. Um, that's the only thing 
that that I can think of that would prevent you from doing this unless you're just so obsessed with you know regression models or something like that and they and your computer just tells you this and you're gonna and you're gonna run with it um i, I think that's uh if that's if that's how you're operating and and that's where you you're putting not just priorities but all of your decision making i, I don't think that's great policy well, Gordon, I appreciate you hopping on. I agree with you 100% on that. And where can listeners find, read, listen to you? You do a lot of great work. I appreciate it, man. Um, yeah, you can go on NBC Sports Chicago. Our podcasts are on there. Um, and uh, all, all the all my stories. I got a new column, well, newly uh, uh, newly branded column that I've been doing for the last three months, uh, Press Box Wag. <laughs> and uh, got, a, got another one coming out uh, later on today. Uh, on that one so NBC gotta, Sports Chicago I gotta tell you Gordon my favorite tweet of all time was you Darvish finding the press box wag I, I still that that one still makes me literally laugh out loud that was so hilarious I, I saw him down there taking my picture of me taking his picture and and then I didn't know I had no idea what he's gonna do that I thought he was just messing with me and then <laughs> I see him that shows up on Twitter it's awesome he's the best I love him too yeah, it, it's great. And we really appreciate everything you do to kind of, you know, hold people accountable. And that's something that we enjoy. You know, those of us that grew up in the Harry Carey era of, of, of just demanding more and hoping for more. So appreciate everything you do, Gordon. Dude, you can see my hat here. I'm from Seattle. I grew up with the, the Mariners long before Lou Pinella got there. And I'm a baseball fan at heart. I'm not a, I, I didn't grow up with the Cubs, but I always thought, wow, what if my team had money? Now, back then, you know, what if my team you know, wasn't always crying poor? What, what could they do? And so I get here and I see this team and I know how much money they're making. I'm, I get angry for the fans. I mean, I, I, you know, Carl, you know, I have talked, man. I would be friggin' pissed if I was paying these ticket prices and watching what's going on. Maybe that's why I, I, I seem pissed all the time. <laughs> Well, keep doing what you're doing, Gordon. We appreciate your time, and we'll have you back on again in the future, all right? All right, man. Anytime. Take care. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to the Fly the W podcast. This is season one. It is episode nine. The Cubs have just dropped three of four to the Pirates. They won the third game. They dropped the fourth. We're dropping this pod right after the fourth game. We just heard from Gordon Wittenmeyer, NBC Sports Chicago. He is all over the Cubs. Never won two mince words. So the next thing, Crowley, we need to do before we wrap up episode number nine is we need to talk about some roster moves that have been made. And then we need to preview the Cardinal series as our Cubs are going to spend the weekend down in St. Louis. Yep. As we talked about, Killian went down, lighter came up. Uh, we know that Smiley is going to be throwing a bullpen. Uh, Stroman, who we haven't seen in a while, is ready to throw his second bullpen. Uh, Suzuki's building up his hitting in the cage right now. Ooh. Say Suzuki, and here's another one you may not remember. Michael Hermosillo is expected to take live BP today. 
Um, Daniel Norris, I kind of got a little chuckle out of this one. I'm going to put this in air quotes for the podcast listeners here. But uh, Daniel Norris, who gave up a bunch of runs at the end of that blowout game, uh, game three, went to the 15-day IL with a finger injury. Adrian Sampson, who looked good the other day, was recalled from Iowa. Uh, on a sad note, Ethan Roberts, who was one of the good stories coming out of spring training, uh, who found out he made the team and they caught him on video, you know, emotional about it. But he has Tommy John. He had. To, he's going to have to have Tommy John surgery, and his season's done. Yeah, that's too bad for Ethan Roberts. You're right. That was one of the better stories. I wonder who else from the younger starting rotation gets moved around when Smiley and Stroman come back. Because I think by the time we are talking again, that we'll have a better idea of when those two are going to make their next starts. Yeah, it, it's going to be tricky. And and the one thing you want, and this is where I get nervous and get so mad about these errors and stuff like that. And the amount of pitches that these young guys have to throw is that you don't know how, you know, what the plan was coming into the season about how many pitches they expected, how many innings they expected these guys to go. So, you know, I know people are probably going to be mad, but when you talk about Miley and Smiley and Stroman all coming back, um, you know, clearly they're going to have to make some decisions. And I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, Thompson maybe it, – it's going to be hard to put these guys back into the bullpen, the two guys, Thompson and Steele. Obviously, you know, Swarmer will probably be sent down. Uh, you know, Leiter Jr. will probably be sent down. So that's two spots right there. But you're, you're trying to find starts for people. But you may want to rest some of these guys, especially try, especially if, if you have these guys come back before the All-Star break – and then, you know, maybe, who knows, give them a little bit of time off uh, before the trade deadline. Because once the trade deadline comes, if things go according to plan, you don't have Miley and Smiley. And then, obviously, Keegan and Justin Steele come back. So you want to take a look at the load management that those guys have on that arm. And that's what you look at when, when the other guys come back. All right, Crowley. It's Cardinals-Cubs weekend. It starts on Friday. You can hear the game on 670 the score. Cardinals are 40 and 31, first place, 6 and 4 in the last 10. They're on a two-game winning streak. Cubs, fourth place, 3 and 7 in their last 10, 26 and 43 overall. The Cardinals just had a four-game series against the Brewers. And somebody that needs to have a bounce back performance, or I predict will be going on the IL with like a dead arm is Kyle Hendricks. He is your Cubs game one starter in this three-game series. Yeah, you know, we talked about Hendricks struggling. He had a decent start when he came back from that rest period that he had, and then the last start did not go very well. So he's going to be going up against Andre Payante. If you remember Payante, uh, he faced off against Caleb Killian. So both of those guys made their debut on June 4th on the nightcap of the doubleheader. He went four innings pitch, gave up four hits, one run, four walks with two Ks. He's made three additional starts. Twice he made it to the sixth inning. Um, so, But against the Pirates, he only went two and a third innings. But he hasn't given up a lot of runs. So it, it's a young, you know, a young pitcher who doesn't have a lot of experience. Uh, so we'll see what happens with him. The hope is, is that the Cubs... Boy, you know, it's just the runners in scoring position thing just absolutely kill you. It, it's it's no good. Um, with Hendricks, and you're looking at the Cardinals uh, and what they do against Hendricks, Harrison Bader hits him really well. 21 at-bats, he's 381 average on that one. Paul Goldschmidt, we know all about Paul Goldschmidt. He hits Hendricks really well at a 317 clip in 41 appearances. 
So a couple guys that seem to have Hendricks' number, and Ed uh, Mundo Sosa hits him well, but in a smaller sample size. Isn't it kind of cool, Crowley, that we have Cubs Cardinals, and today, the 23rd of June, while we're recording this podcast, is also, I believe, the 38th anniversary of the Ryan Sandberg game, where he hit those home runs off of Bruce Suter on national TV and Bob Costas famously calling him. That, that was, for a lot of people of our generation, Dustin, the game that really kind of made us lifelong Cub fans, just watching the magic of the game and how anything can happen on any given day. Totally agree. All right, game two. Right now, it's TBD, but I feel like I've heard some rumors and seen some things out there on the internet that it might be Alec Mills starting game two for the Cubs in this series, and he'll be going up against uh, Miles Mikolos. Yeah, Mikolos is two and four on the season so far. He's got a 369 ERA, one and two in his last three starts, but this is why the win category is something you really can't always look at when you look at uh, MLB player uh, pitchers. He hasn't given up more than two runs in any of his last three starts. So it's not like he's getting hit. He's just not getting a lot of run support. Um, so hopefully that continues for Mills or whoever ends up pitching that the Cardinals give Mikolas no run support. The Cubs have seen Mikolas plenty. Um, Wilson Contreras, hopefully that's what the doctor ordered for him. In 13 at-bats, he hits 300. Uh, against him 308 uh, Ian Happ 18 at bats he hits 389 off him so you you have some guys that hit him pretty well yeah absolutely let's let's hope you know I, I will say what I've said before in some of these uh, bigger series kind of the rivalries kind of the games you get hyped up for as a fan I, you don't go into the Pittsburgh series getting all hyped up and lathered up that they're playing the Bucks. You think that they're going to at least split and you're going to get greedy and go for three out of four. You were the smart one looking for a split, and we both were wrong as the Cubs lost three out of four. Now I'm back to the point of just don't get swept. <laughs> I hate every time we have a series against a team that's a rival or a team that you just don't like, that it's cross your fingers, cross your toes, hide your eyes, and just don't get swept. So game three will be on Sunday afternoon. I don't think we have any national TV between these two teams. It's a little bit surprising but the way the cubs are going right now i understand and actually um friday. friday friday is going to be apple tv oh, that, that new apple gosh, tv game apple yeah. tv well i'll tell you what friday i would have been probably on radio anyway with pat and ron and zach and maybe if i have the tv on without the picture it would have been on the stanley cup because the cup is in the house um, so I probably wouldn't even have looked for it on TV, but thank you for correcting me. The again, Apple TV plus another terrible idea by major league baseball. I don't care how much the owners are making off of that one. Yeah. Game three, you're going to see a uh, swarmer versus Flaherty. Uh, the thing about Jack Flaherty, we know him as a good pitcher, but he's had shoulder issues and he only made his first start June 15th. So he's made two starts, his first one on June 15th and one other one. And in both, he's lasted only three innings. So I'm sure they're going to try to stretch him about four or five innings this time around. But uh, the Cardinals and the Brewers just had one of those heavyweight battles between the top two teams. And so let's see how the Cardinals bullpen, which was very good against the Brewers. Let's see if there's a little bit of fatigue, you know, coming into the Cubs series. Well, as I just said a few minutes ago, Crowley, fingers and toes crossed, eyes covered. Please, Justin, Cubs, just don't get swept. Please. I got I to ask you this here. You have three games 
against the Cardinals. Now, we saw what Nelson Velasquez did today, and he made some things happen. I've also seen him make some good defensive plays happen. I got to ask you, th th this here right now, I know that Jed Hoyer was on the Mully and Haw show. I know that he was, uh, he was, he met with the beat writers. He was on the four letter network. Uh, and, and a lot of, he's starting to face some tough questions and questions specifically about Jason Hayward and Gordon, who just dropped an article today about Hayward and kind of, you know, apparently he doesn't hear the noise about people complaining about him, but there, you know, I feel that, that Jed is hearing it and Rossi is hearing it as well of the frustration of the fan base of constantly playing Jason Hayward. And I got to ask you, you got three games against St. Louis. The team is reeling right now. You had those two wins against uh, Atlanta and one against um, the Pirates out of four. This team is reeling right now. Fans are, are very frustrated. Do you see Hayward? How many starts do you see him making this series? One, and there better not be more than four at-bats. One start and no more than four at-bats. I don't think I don't think Ross would embarrass him back with the team that he started with and not have him play at all. I don't think he would do that to him. So I don't think there's any love loss either. Another fan base that does not like Jason Hayward, it would be the St. Louis Cardinals. I'm sure they're thrilled that he, number one, is no longer with the Cardinals and number two, that he's on the Cubs. But I, I guess I'd have to be okay with one start and four total at bats and there better not be any pinch hitting from Jason Hayward. And, and then, but that's the thing that Dustin, it feels like, you know, you, you talked about the Cardinals fans hatred and the reason they hate Jason Hayward is because he chose to sign a lesser deal with the Cubs instead of signing with the Cardinals who made a better deal, made a better uh, offer, made yeah. a better offer. And so they never forgot that at the same time though, the Chicago fan base, I feel like the Hayward contract never was what we wanted it to be. It wasn't what Theo wanted it to be. wasn't what the fans or even Hayward to that matter. And we know he does a lot of good things for the community and helping young players and all this other stuff. But I feel like the more that whoever's making the call, Ross or Hoyer, the more they keep forcing Hayward in there, the more that the goodwill starts to erode. Whether you're talking about the rain delay speech or the good he does for the community or the leadership he provides in the clubhouse is people are frustrated and they're starting to take their frustrations out on Hayward. Yep. And, you know, that's what happens. You know, those that are paid a ton of money, um, that's what happens. A lot is expected. He's getting a lot of money, and there hasn't been much given back in the last few years. Again, he's a very nice guy. He's top-shelf person, really good teammate. I'm sure he's a good son. If he's married, I'm sure he's a great husband. If he's a father, I'm sure he's a great father and a great uncle. That doesn't mean I have to be happy that he's playing right field for my favorite baseball team. How about a guy who I do want playing right field for who – Except, you know, got DFA'd. He got sent. He Nobody picked him up, which maybe says something. He has now accepted his role and he's in, in taking a minor league spot with the Cubs. But it's now um, Jackson, don't call me Clint Frazier. What was your reaction when you saw that story? You know, as long as he gets his swing worked out in Iowa, I, I don't care what you call him. As long as he starts hitting the ball. Call him whatever you want. You know, I'm not too worried about those type of things. I'm more worried about the production. Uh, Gordo, you know, from the, if you just listen to the interview with Gordon, he talked about how his swing especially didn't look right when he came back from the appendix um, surgery. So I'm hoping that the swing looks right. He gets better. And I'm also, you're not going to ever want to see David Bodie 
in a Cub uniform. I think I we've all changed our mind on that. DFA VR, get, get Bodie up here immediately. I, I can't do this anymore. I could be down with that. Okay, real quick, Crowley, before we wrap up Season 1, Episode 9. Tonight, that's Thursday when we're dropping this, Thursday night, on the Marquee Sports Network, we've got the Young Cubs, South Bend Cubs, taking on the Peoria Chiefs over at Four Winds Field. Again, you can watch it on Marquee at 6.05. And Jordan Wicks is going to get the start for the South Bend Cubs in that one. So, Crowley, that's a wrap on this one. Hopefully, uh, after we talk and watch the Cardinals series, we'll be back with you guys on Monday or Tuesday morning. Hopefully, at that point, we will have had the opportunity to at least fly the W one time. I think it's a safe, uh, I don't know about safe, there's no safe bet with this team, but I think one win is doable. I think one win is doable. And you know, baseball, it's like all of a sudden you knew you were going to get the two wins from the 14 in a row winner, the Braves, and then completely choke it against Pittsburgh. So who knows? Maybe, maybe the Cubs take two out of three. Never know.